Well, Happy New Year, church. Praise the Lord. What an exciting time, January 2nd, to gather together. Uh, if I was going to ask you what is the most productive day of the year, what would be your answer? You know, um, statistically, the most productive day or first couple of days are January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And then you begin to fall off your resolutions. Gyms are filled with people on January 1st and 2nd. Uh, the Bibles are read on January 1st and 2nd. Probably the most read chapters of the Bible are first three chapters of Genesis and first three chapters of Matthew, because that's where most of our Bible plans begin. So we go there, we feel really good. Some of you guys feel really good about your New Year's reading resolution today, because it's only January 2nd. We will pray that God would give us grace to daily resolve to walk with Christ as we refresh our minds in his word. But I'm sure you guys are um, thinking, have thought about in the past week as you were entering 2022 about your resolution. What should you change? What should you fix? Maybe focus on more. And so maybe you have a list in front of you. Maybe you're, you're planning now. You're making various reservations uh, to take some time off with your family. Maybe you've planned regular date nights with your wife. Maybe you plan to focus more on your children and do some family devotions or maybe focus more on serving the Lord in this local body, whatever it is. I want us to draw our attention this morning to a passage in God's word, Philippians chapter one, verses one through 11 and just call us together as a body of Christ to resolve to live for the progress of the gospel. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I'm not sure how many of you heard about a missionary, Henry Morrison. Henry Morrison served a long time in Africa. After 40 years of faithful service to the Lord, him and his wife were returning to New York. And unknown to Harry and his wife, Teddy Roosevelt, president of U.S., was also on board that ship. He had gone to Africa also, but for a hunting trip. When the ship pulled into the harbor, he looked to see if anyone was there to welcome them as missionaries heading home after 40 years of service to the Lord. And thousands of people were there cheering, bands were playing, there were kinds of signs, there were banners, billboards, and they were all saying, welcome home. Henry and his wife, they were so excited about the crowds that were there to welcome them, but when they got off the boat, they realized that it wasn't for them, it was for president of the United States, they had come to welcome him, not them. And over the next few weeks, Henry tried but failed to put this incident behind him. He was sinking deeper and deeper in, into depression when one evening he said to his wife, you know, honey, this is all wrong. This man comes back from a hunting trip and everyone throws him a party and we here, we give our life serving faithfully our Lord for these many years, and no one seems to care about our coming back. 
And his wife cautioned him and said, Henry, you need to tell this to the Lord and get this settled because you will be useless in ministry until you do. So Henry Morrison went back to his bedroom, got on his knees and began to pour out his heart to the Lord. And he said, Lord, you know our situation and what's troubling me. We gladly served you faithfully for years without complaining, but now, God, I just can't get over this incident. And after he prayed, Henry said this, when I finished it, it seemed as though the Lord had put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but Henry, you are not yet home. You will be welcomed home, but not yet, friend, not yet. And, you know, as, as I thought about this incident, there are many versions of, of, of this story, actually, that you can find. But, you know, I thought that even the best of men, they have lapses in understanding ultimate reality. Right? Missionary who served the Lord can come to a point where he can really be depressed because he is not appreciated. You know, today, some of us might be in similar situation as Henry, disappointed, perhaps even depressed, Maybe we forgot what life should be all about. You know, as we begin New Year, you might be asking yourself, what is the primary goal in life? What should I be passionate about? What must I live for as a follower of Christ? And ultimately, what is the payoff for all of this? Recognition from men or praise from God? And if that's the case, when? When is it all gonna happen? You know, we read at the beginning of the service what Paul's goal and what Paul's mission and purpose was in life. He said in the same book, Philippians, just later on in this chapter, he said in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Paul, what is your goal? What is your purpose in life? And he would say, friend, I live for Christ. And when I die, I gain Christ. So as we look at this text here in front of us, the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter one, I think the Lord wants to remind us to continue to faithfully advance the cause of the gospel until the coming of Christ, until the coming of Christ. Get involved with advancing the name of Christ wherever the Lord has you. So let's begin by reading Philippians one, beginning with verse one. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affections of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ 
to the glory and praise of God. Now, as we wrap our minds and our hearts around these couple of verses, the big idea that Paul wants to emphasize here for us and that he really thanks God for this church, for Philippians, is this, and and this is the exhortation here, make partnership in the gospel the goal of life until the coming of Christ. Get involved with your number one mission here as Christians until the coming of Christ. Christ. And to do that, he focuses on three things. And so here's our outline here for this morning as we look at the first 11 verses. In order to make partnership in the gospel the goal of life, we must, first of all, view ourselves in light of the gospel. We must view ourselves accurately, properly. Number one, we must value what God values, and that is the spread of Christ's name. It is the spread of the gospel. And number three, we must ask God for wisdom to further advance the gospel. So number one, view yourself accurately. Number two, we're going to look at valuing the spread of the gospel. And number three, asking God for wisdom. So he begins here, Paul, number one, view yourself in light of the gospel. And usually when you come to the opening of letters or opening of books, you sort of tend to gloss over these opening verses because you already know who wrote it. You know who it's written to because you've read it, Philippians. We know it's Paul. 13 letters were written by Paul in the New Testament, so it's a good chance that when you open up the New Testament book, you know who it's from and you know to whom it is written. Now, typically in ancient world, the greeting of a letter would say something like, for instance, Paul to Tim, greetings. Very short. Paul writing to Tim, greetings, or hello. And then, boom, off we go with the body of the letter. Paul here, he kind of changes this formula in all of his letters. He, he doesn't say his, he does rather say his name, Paul, but then he adds, look at verse one, bond servants of Christ Jesus. And instead of saying to all in Philippi, he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And instead of saying just hello or greetings, he says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Each part of the greeting is rooted, friends, in their new identity in Christ. He is addressing Christians. And this points to the transformation that is brought about by their faith, by the gospel. Every part of human life is different in light of being a follower of Christ. The way you view yourself, the way you view other believers, the way you greet them, everything is radically transformed because of Jesus Christ. All of life, in fact, all the mundane things that we tend to gloss over, they are transformed by Christ. And Paul, in writing to these believers, wants them to view themselves in light of who they've become in Christ. And so two things here, notice with me, he is addressing his letter to the saints. So he wants them to view themselves as saints in Christ. Verse one, to all the saints, saint. Saint means to be holy, means to be separated, to to be unique, means to be set apart. You know, holiness is one of the most dominant themes in all of scripture, beginning 
in Genesis all the way through Revelation. In Isaiah 6, 3, remember, there's this proclamation about our Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The God we serve, the God we worship, he is holy. He is utterly unique. He is separate. He is set apart. And since God is holy, since he is in this unique position, uh, we oftentimes say that God is in the league of his own. No one compares to him. He calls his people to be separated onto him. He calls his people to belong to a new order, to have a new lifestyle, to be separate from the way and the order that they belong to prior to their faith. And it was the same in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, he says, God, speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And then in the New Testament, Peter picks up the same theme in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. You see, Paul here addresses Philippians as saints, alluding to this community-forming power of the gospel. You are different now. True, in eyes of your society, you are just Philippians. You are Americans. You are Russians, Ukrainians, whatever, whatever group you belong to. But in Christ, friends, your first and primary identity is you are saints. In the eyes of God, you are saints. How did you become saints? How did you acquire this characterization? Well, he says here, you are saints in Christ Jesus. Saints in Christ Jesus. In Christ here is one of Paul's favorite phrases, and he will use this over and over again. In Christ or in Jesus Christ, in the Lord here throughout this letter and many of his other letters. And this phrase, it focuses on the means of our holiness on the means of our holiness. Because you and I are sinful, holiness must be earned and granted by someone else, not us. In other words, we never arrive, right, at a place where we can be called saints apart from someone granting us holiness and righteousness and and calling us that. It's foreign to us. And yet he says, you've acquired this. You've become saints. You have become separated because of someone else's work for you. Whose work? Christ. So now as Christians, as saints, our place of residence is now in Christ. This is our primary place of residence. In Christ. Just as these Philippians here, they they live together as residents in Philippi. Paul says you ought to live together as believers in Christ. Their life and ours as well is centered on Christ because of the gospel. So there's just like this dual residence, but primary is we are in Christ 
and yet we reside in Sacramento. We live in whatever city you're in, but your primary identity, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. And that is how he wants us, and that is how he wanted them to view themselves. And not just Philippians, not just Roman citizens. You are Christians. You are saints. But not only that here, he also says that we are slaves or bondservants of Christ. Saints in Christ, bondservants. In the opening verse here, Paul, Paul here departs from his usual identification. He usually says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ an apostle of Jesus Christ. But in this letter, he makes no reference to his apostolic authority. In fact, here, he says Paul and Timothy. He includes Timothy, and he identifies himself along with Timothy as slaves of Christ. Why is this important? In his commentary, Walter Hansen, speaking of slavery, he wrote this. In a Roman colony like Philippi, Some slaves did menial work while others had great responsibilities in civil service. But in either case, their lack of freedom and their subservience to their masters who owned them made their position as slaves humiliating compared to those who were free. Paul's reference later on in this letter to Christ's obedience as a slave Obedience even to death on the cross in chapter 2 indicates that Paul's use of the title of slaves for himself and Timothy points to their total subjection to the will of their master. They were not autonomous. They were subject to the claims of the one who owned them. I'll repeat, they were subject to the claims of the one who owned them. So friends, the call of the gospel is to become slaves of God, to constantly be doing his bidding, being primarily concerned with what pleases our master. You see, as saints in Christ who are separated from this old old order and dominion of sin, we have been renewed and removed and been placed to now care for and do the bidding of our new master who is our gracious Lord. Second or first Corinthians chapter six, verse 20 says, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are owned by someone. Now, how do do these two terms complement one another? Right, saints in Christ and then slaves of Christ. Well, because in Christ you are a saint, he makes you righteous and holy. Your responsibility now is to be obedient slave. Right, you go about the business of the Lord who is in heaven. You see, you and I are no different than than Paul or Timothy. Our order, our roles, right, our functions are different, but we are all part of Christ by the same grace. Do we, do we have these lofty position as Christians? Absolutely, we are saints. We are holy in Jesus Christ, but we are also slaves, friends, slaves of Christ, which is no less significant. We are bought from this marketplace of sin, to do the will of God, to put on this robe, to take a a towel and start serving and 
be obedient to the will of God. And what that means in light of this entire letter is to participate joyfully and willingly in the spread of the gospel, in spreading the agenda of our master who bought us out. We're supposed to live for him, for his glory, and to advance the gospel. That's it. Now, here's the sort of application. You know how we view ourselves will always dictate what we value. How we view ourselves will dictate what we value and what we ultimately do. Think with me. If I view myself first and foremost as a basketball player, I had this... Uh, this desire when I was growing up to be a basketball player. So I did everything that I could in my power to uh, be good at, at, at shooting, at dribbling, at looking up to other men who were good at it. And, and unfortunately, my parents shot that idea down. And I'm grateful to them now. Um, but before, not so much. Um, but I used to think about, man, if I was there, if I was playing in the NBA, you know, what would my life be like? Um, if, if I view myself primarily as a player, I will value that which will make me a great player. In other words, I will spend a lot of time at the gym. I will watch film of other great basketball players. I will be eating right in order to maintain um, you know, good fitness, right? I will do things in order, what, to promote, in order to advance myself as a great basketball player. In other words, if you're pursuing or if you're thinking about becoming a doctor, if you view yourself primarily as a doctor, you will value good grades. You will value pristine medical schools. You will probably value good salaries. In other words, what you view yourself, that is what you will value and pursue. If you view yourself primarily as a mother, for instance, for all the moms here, primarily as a mother, then you will value, I don't know, well-behaving kids, make sure everyone is fed. You will value good, fresh dinners, perhaps. So your, your view of yourself will dictate what you value. But friends, if you view yourself primarily as a saint and a slave of Christ, then you will pursue things differently. Even as that doctor, as a Christian doctor, as a Christian basketball player, as a Christian mother, you will do things differently than simply just mother or doctor or basketball player or a lawyer or Custodian, it doesn't matter. Paul is calling us to view ourselves in light of our true and unique and new identity in Christ. Because only then will we value his business above our own. And his business is always the spread of his name, is always the spread of his fame beyond our own business. So number one, to advance the gospel in our lives, we need to properly view ourselves how as saints and as slaves of Christ. Number two, 
Here in verses three through eight, Paul wants us to value the spread of the gospel. Not only view ourselves properly, but value what God values. Ask yourself, how do I know if I value the spread of the gospel today? Well, he answers this question for us in verses three through eight in in a couple of different ways. Number one, if you value the gospel, you will involve yourself in promoting its work. You will be involved in promoting and propagating the gospel, the good news of Christ. That's the number one thing that we see here. Verse three, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Why? Why is Paul thankful here? In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. When Paul thinks about this church, he says, I cannot but thank God. Why? Because you are instruments of God in spreading and assisting people who preach Christ. They were involved in supporting Paul's mission because they considered themselves to be part of God's work. We will notice as we read on into Philippians chapter four, for instance, in chapter four, verses 10 through 18, the church participated in Paul's needs by sending him monetary gift. So they, they saw themselves as God's extension to collect money and to send it to Paul so that Paul would be free from working so that he could be more involved in gospel mission. In chapter two, for instance, verses 25 through 30, the church sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, to encourage Paul in prison and to deliver the gift. So part of their partnership in the gospel was saying, you know what, Paul needs encouragement. How many or who wants to get up and go visit Paul and just spend time with him, encourage him, pray with him, pray for him, pray for his ministry? Who wants to do that? Epaphroditus, go. Why? Why did they send one of their own? Well, it's because they saw themselves as an extension of God's ministry. They saw themselves as connected to what Paul was doing. Why? Because they were partners in God's grace. They were partners in the gospel. Notice this this word here, in view of your participation in the gospel, participation. This word is a very well-known word, koinonia, or partnership, or fellowship, fellowship. And it has wide meaning throughout Paul's letters, but in this context of Philippians, such fellowship or such sharing, it pointed specifically to the activity of Philippians in promoting the work of the gospel. In other words, turn with me to chapter four, Chapter four and verse 14, look what he says here, verse 14 and 15. Nevertheless, you have done well to share or to partner, to fellowship, same word, with me in my affliction. So he's talking in this context of sending him money and monetary support. And he says, you have partnered with me to share in my affliction. Verse 15, for you yourselves also know Philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church, here it is, shared, partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. So this 
fellowship, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 5, in view of your participation or fellowship in, in the gospel here, Paul defines the meaning of fellowship as actually sharing and participating in the needs to spread and promote the gospel. Seeing fellow saints involve themselves in the work of ministry brought great joy to Paul, and he was thrilled about it. And so along with with Paul, we need to consider it, friends, a privilege to participate in the needs of the saints and thank God for giving us these opportunities. Value the spread of the gospel. As Philippians participated in this ministry of the gospel, he says, from the first day, probably a day of their repentance when Paul was in Philippi, and continued even on when Paul left until now, he says. Like this church, we are called, our church is called to partner with the gospel and and see this as a great task. It's a task of great value. But not only do we involve ourselves, right, in promoting the work of the gospel, but we thank God for his work in you and others. We thank God for his work in us and through us. Look at verse six. He says, for I'm confident, like I thank God Verse three, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began this good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. As Paul thanked the saints in Philippi, he promptly expresses this gratitude and confidence that God would continue his work in them. This good work here In verse six, notice, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work, this good work, it must be understood and interpreted in light of this participation in the gospel of the previous verse. Okay, we need to work with this context that Paul is dealing with here. He's talking about God's blessing, right? Their participation in the gospel rather than God promising them spiritual growth, even though that is correct. We oftentimes take this verse and and we say, you know what, we are confident that what God started in us and saving us, right, and and in regenerating us and beginning his work in us, he will complete it to the end. And amen, that is the truth. In fact, Paul later on will say in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God. Jude, for instance, 24, writes, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and great joy. This is the truth of God's word. He will complete what he had started. Yet here, contextually, the focus is on their participation in the spread of the gospel. Ultimately here, their work in propagating the gospel was initiated by God in them. And Paul says that I'm confident that the same God who initiated this work and you seen the need and you wanted to contribute and you wanted to serve me and you wanted to serve other churches, the same God who started this, he will allow you to carry this, thing, this work out completely. Saints, God is the one stirring in us the desire to see his, his fame spread. Do you live for the spread of the gospel? One of the questions you may be asking is, do I even want Christ's name to be spread where I'm at? 
around me, in my school, in my work, in my neighborhood, around here, around our church, right? Am I praying for and am I thanking God for giving me this desire so that it would burn even more and that he would complete this work? Appreciate and thank God for working out his purposes through humble slaves like us. It is truly amazing. But not only are we to involve ourselves in promoting the gospel and thank God, but we also are to partner with one another. We are to partner. Paul is very confident that God is at work because of the evidence that Philippians were showing in their concern for him and his imprisonment. Not only that, but they were also concerned for the purity of the gospel, and therefore they defended the gospel. Look what he says in verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. They were concerned for Paul and the gospel mission. Why? Why were they concerned? Well, Paul says, because you are all partakers. It's exactly the same word as fellowship, as koinonia, right? As partners, because you have become partners in grace. We're in the same boat, friend. He's looking at this church and he says, Paul, I'm a missionary. I am concerned. I'm in prison right now because of Jesus Christ. But guess what? You're in the same boat. You may be out of prison, but you're in the same boat. You've received the same exact grace. So you're concerned about the same thing, right? You should be concerned about Christ being exalted in your midst where you are. Grace. Grace. Grace is the basis of these close, intimate relationship between Paul and um, Philippian church. Think about it. Who, who is your partner? Who do you partner up to promote Christ? Who is your partner in grace? Well, the whole church here, those who are saved, there are our partners in grace we need to be thinking strategically, how can we, as a church, maybe as a group, even as a family unit, strive together to spread the fame in the name of Christ? So two things, value the spread of the gospel by being involved, right? Thanking God for his work and partnering with others. Why? Because we're saints and slaves, because we're saints and slaves. Viewing ourselves accurately in light of the gospel will help us to value the spread of the gospel. We're Christians. We're believers. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness. And now we need to be concerned about the spread of his fame, his mission. But Paul sees one more vital element in church staying in its lane of promoting the gospel, which is asking for wisdom, asking for wisdom, which brings us to third point, ask God for wisdom. And Paul says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. This I pray. Paul says, man, I'm hearing good things. I'm even benefiting from all your work and concern for me. This is great, but I pray for you. And he says, pray for your partnership in the gospel to further impact your decision-making. I pray, he says, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in true discernment. This love here, when it also needs to be qualified and explained in its context here, that your love 
Once again, this is love for partnering, for spreading the fame of Christ, that your love, love is their partnership in the gospel. Having thanked God, he's praying that their work, their good work would abound still more and more. That's what he's saying. Your love for Christ will be spelled out in you participating in exalting him through whatever means. And he says, I am praying that you would abound still more and more. You know, and uh, it is said that one day Michelangelo entered his studio to look at all of the paintings of his students. And as he came to a painting of one of his favorite students, he stood and he looked at it for a very long time. Then to everyone's surprise, he suddenly took a, a paintbrush and he wrote one word across the canvas. And that word was amplius, which in Latin means larger or enlarge. And with this word, Michelangelo said, I am not rejecting the work because it exhibited great skill and it was as good as it went, but I want the size of the canvas to be larger so that all of the smallest details would be all the more visible. Take this and increase it. Make it larger, expand it. You see, our vision needs constant revision. God wants us to increase in our understanding so that we may widen our, our outreach, the scope of our outreach. Paul says, grow more and more. I pray that your love, love for Christ, love for one another, love for those who are perishing, love for this gospel work may abound still more and more, would increase. Where did they need to increase? Paul says, in real knowledge and in all discernment. In real knowledge and in all discernment. He wants the progress of the gospel to start impacting their thought process and their decision making. This should be filtered through, right? When, when we think about our decisions, we should be asking ourselves, if I do A, B, C, D, will this help spread the gospel? In other words, think about this. If I move from this place to this place, if I move from this city to this or from this neighborhood to that, will this help spread the gospel? If I make a career change and instead of being a nurse, I become someone else, a teacher, will this help spread the gospel? You see, naturally, we tend to think of it in different ways, right? Will I get more money? Will my family be taken care of better here? Will I have a more comfortable place? Will all of these things, right? What are the benefits? And Paul is saying, I pray that as you think about the spread of the gospel, you will begin to interpret your life in light of this, in all, in real knowledge and in all discernment, that you begin to discern. If I do A, B, C, D, if I take this trip or don't take this trip, how will this impact my witness for Christ? See, this is so much more above ourselves. Why? Because we're saints in Christ and we are slaves of Christ. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. I want you to begin to discern better. 
what happens when you make your decisions in light of the gospel? Well, he goes on and he says, so that. Here's the result. So that. You will prioritize God's work. If you make decisions in light of the gospel, you will demonstrate that you care about Christ. You care about the priority of his work rather than your own. This is the excellent result that Paul is hoping for, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. What things? He said, well, the things that you're doing right now, I'm just hoping that they would increase more and more and more. That you would approve excellent things. What you're doing is excellent, but I want you to increase still more and more. That you will be blameless at his coming, he says in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Participating in the work of ministry will result in them being judged sincere and blameless. This is amazing. As a saint and, and slave of Christ, you went about living your life for Christ. You prioritized the business of your master. And Paul says, I pray that you would see it and that you would discern properly so that at the coming of Christ, you will be sincere and blameless because you live for Christ. You prioritize his work. You also bear good fruit for the gospel, having been filled with a fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. There are a couple of ways to interpret this. Um, or righteousness here, it, it must be understood as, as the source or origin of this fruit. In other words, um, fruit which comes from righteousness. That's the reason for this participle, he says, having been filled. It's a passive action that's been done to you. You have been filled with fruit which comes from righteousness through Jesus Christ. Again, emphasizing this fact that we are unable to produce anything good of our own, no fruit that's lasting, no fruit that's eternal. The only fruit that we're able to produce is if Christ is in us and if we're in Christ and he's producing this fruit for the gospel. And then finally he says, and all this to the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. And this too, you can look at, and there are a couple of ways that, that commentators, they interpret this. Naturally, some conclude that when we live to advance the gospel by participating in the great work, we live to glorify and honor God, and, and certainly that is true, right? Our salvation and bearing good fruit, it brings and contributes to God's glory. But this phrase can also be read this way, the construction in the original, for the glory and praise which comes from God, right? You living this way, will result in glory and praise which comes from God. This is interesting. It says that you will get recognition from God, and I, I tend to lean this way in interpreting this last part of the verse. If the focus here is an abounding in love, right, which is this work of spreading the gospel, it would make sense that public affirmation from God would be an appropriate response to a people who were intent in life to promote him. If you make it your business to promote Christ and to make your decisions in light of Christ and how this will impact your witness to the world, says this will result in great, in glory and praise of God. 
Notice again this recognition and this reward doesn't come when you get off the mission field or when you finish your sermon or you know, when you set this godly example for your kids at home. It is not immediate. It comes when you get home. It comes when you arrive, finally, your real home. Because you're not citizen here, you're citizen of heaven. And although in this life, you stand to lose a lot, and Paul says, later on, he says, I'm in prison. I'm in prison. For the cause of Christ, you may lose a lot. You may lose some relationships, some possessions, some recognition, perhaps. God will mightily reward you on the last day, on the day of Christ. This is the eternal reward. And this is it, friend. This is what we're left here to do. What, what are our personal values? Are, are we more concerned with making a good living or living to spread the good news of Christ? If you analyze 2021 and now prepare for 2022, I hope you resolve together with us to live for the progress of the gospel. And as you were listening, I hope you were thinking and praying of ways that you can maximize your love for, life for the cause of Christ. I mean, what does it mean practically for you to live for the progress of the gospel. Well, it, it may mean different things for different people. For some, it means that you pray for wisdom in ways that you raise your children. As mothers and fathers here in this room, we need to discipline our kids to lead them to Christ, not just have well-behaved children. You know, your attitude or, or, or the way you view yourself, I'm a Christian parent, I'm a saint and I'm a slave of Christ, and as those who have been given kids, I need to raise them in, in the appropriate way. For some, it means that you step up in your witnessing at work, maybe. God placed you there for a reason. People in your workplace need to hear about the Lord. For others, it means you finally step out and you make some friends in your neighborhood. Go out to the streets and witness of Christ. For some of you, it means that you step up here and you begin to serve in the church, that you begin to serve kids in Sunday school, you serve youth, you serve adults, you serve on various ministries that we have available here. Since the church is proclaiming the gospel of Christ, you partner with the church to do that. Maybe someone here needs your encouragement and your prayers this week or this month especially, this too is gospel work where you constantly lift them up before the Lord to the throne of grace and you pray for them. And for this church here, for us as a body, it means that we partner with other ministries and missions who take the word of God to other places that we won't be able to. So you see how it impacts our plans, it impacts our agendas, it impacts our, all of our planning here and I want us to, to think through this. And I want us to be reminded, like Henry, that until we're home, our job in partnering in the gospel is not over. It's not over. And so we ought to resolve today to be faithful slaves of Christ. And we need to await for the ultimate recognition which comes 
from the Lord. Friends, I hope you are encouraged. Resolve to advance Christ this year. Father, we thank you and we commit this resolution to you. I know you're passionate to advance the name of your son and we need to be on board. Help us, Lord, give us wisdom, how we as a church corporately can be more involved and also as individuals who make up this body. Oh Lord, give us this passion to see Christ exalted not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.